It's June the 5th, 2019. I'm James Brereton, and welcome to this week's episode of the Carolina Weather Group. Thanks so much for joining us. This is episode 280, if you can believe it. Our 300th episode is going to be here before we know it. Hello and everyone uh, to everyone out there on Facebook Live, YouTube, Twitch, and Periscope. You can comment during tonight's show right there on the social platform and be a part of our conversation. And if you're listening to our podcast, which can now be found on platforms including Spotify, don't forget that you can now send us a voice message. Just check the show notes for a link to send in your voice. We'd love to hear from you and be a part of an upcoming episode. We'll have the latest on uh, what was a severe weather threat across a good portion of the Carolinas today, as well as heat and a talk of drought coming up closer to the 9 o'clock hour, when we'll also be checking in with Shea Gibson and his tropical update. But let's start with tonight's interview. Uh, we're continuing the conversation about storm chasing this week, and we'll have an update from our own crew coming up. But first, Melissa Griffin has secured a great guest for us who is going to tell us a little bit about his career, the school he works for, and also their recent chase. Let's say a good evening to Melissa. Hi, everyone. So oh. we got okay, you. There we are. Hi, everyone. All right. Uh, as you can tell, I'm not Scotty Powell. Scotty's taking a well-deserved break along with Evan Fisher and Chris Jackson after returning from the Colorado Frontlands and the Great Plains during their chase. And I'm ta- I feel very privileged to introduce today's guest, who is a very good dear friend of mine, Dr. Josh Durkee from Western Kentucky University. Um, so I'm going to ask Scotty's favorite question. And Josh, I want you to tell us a little bit about your weather journey. How did you get started in this field of meteorology? Great question. I think like a lot of us, uh, we were into meteorology as a young kid. Something happened or something got us into it at, a, at an early start for me. I was actually at the babysitter's house and uh, it wasn't a lot of fun. Um, but this tornado came through and uh, forced everyone into the basement. Uh, and for whatever reason, at that time, uh, I ran to the window because I wanted to see it. And I could see the trees being ripped up. I could see things getting tossed by the window. And when it was over, we had to go pick up my mom downtown. And we had to navigate through lots of destruction. And for whatever reason, I just thought that was so cool. And like I said, that was probably about four years old when that happened. Now I'm 42. And that feeling has basically never gone away. I'm, I'm, I'm still very much into you know severe storms and tracking, documenting, forecasting, understanding them. You actually, um, you went to the University of Georgia and you got your PhD from the University of Georgia, so you're a bulldog, but did you, you did your whole career there, correct? Yes, here at Western Kentucky University, I, I did my undergraduate work, um, but at that time, it was a geography degree that was limited in a lot of the atmospheric science courses that I wanted to eventually take, so I went on to graduate school to, to get those courses under my belt, and at that time, when I graduated, uh, applied for jobs all over the country, like like most people do. And as it turns out, my home institution had a an opening for uh, someone who could help come build a brand new meteorology program. So, for me, it was an opportunity to work with a blank canvas and provide something for the university that I wish it had when I was here. And for the last eleven years, that's what I've been doing. 
And so you actually are a great lead into actually talking about the development of that program because Western Kentucky is one of those schools that has a, a, a newer program. They're newer to the field of meteorology. And so I'd like you to tell a little bit about how you built the program from, you know, just it being you teaching the class to some of the exciting things that you're doing now at Western Kentucky. So with, with the opportunity to come here to help build this, this new program, um, you know, we're faced with the challenge of a lot of new MET programs around the country coming along um, and, and being able to build one and sustain it, really. Putting one together is not that hard, but sustaining it sometimes can be. So I've always been a, a visual learner, a hands-on learner. Um, these types of experiences are what stick with me, and I think a lot of people, too. Um, so I wanted to design a program philosophy that professionalized the learning experience well beyond the classroom. Uh, I wanted to put students out in the field. I wanted them to, to forecast and, and do research and do all the things that we tell them that they're going to do one day, but why not do it now? So in that way, we've really emphasized sort of building a, a, a high-end meteorology program so that when they graduate, they're not ready for the next level. They, they're already the next level when they leave this program. And so that leads us into talking about white squirrel. And I think Tim had the next question about what is that? So Tim, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I'm just kind of curious, you know, white squirrel weather, what is, what is your mission and what exactly are you doing? And kind of give us the specifics behind that. So starting, there's a little backstory to that, um, you know, with the idea to really emphasize hands-on learning and, and that type of approach toward getting students out of outside of the traditional classroom, we uh, I developed the, the WKU Storm Chase, which is really just a, uh, a forecasting workshop out in the plains for two weeks. Um, it's the kind of experience, as you can imagine, where students come back from two weeks and they feel like they've learned more during that time than they have over the last two years or something like that. Um, so that was good. And then the next phase, we, we built a, an operational forecast lab, which is what I'm sitting in right now, uh, so that students have a place to work also, again, outside of the classroom and, and practice meteorology without always having a grade hanging over their head. Um, it builds camaraderie, collegiality, um, and it helps build that sort of family environment within our program. Um, but we felt like at that time we really wanted to produce something. We wanted a product to come from the lab um, and from these experiences. So uh, we put together this notion of a university weather service, which we call White Squirrel Weather. Now, the obvious question is what's up with the white squirrel? Uh, we have a small population of, of white squirrels that live in Bowling Green. They live pretty much on campus and down in this area, and they're like these mythical little creatures that when you see them, everyone kind of freaks out, wants to take a picture, and you don't see them very often. And it's sort of like just this iconic cultural critter that runs around town. Uh, we've got breweries and other things named after the, the white squirrel. So it's a really popular thing uh, for this area. So we, had, we latched onto that um, to give this, this operation an identity. Uh, so, but with that, we wanted our students to be able to provide real meteorological services to the university in a way that they could build their resumes, make them more employable, but also in a way where the end user is actually benefiting from that. So, we've strategically got with the university and 
figured out ways to get embedded within their decision-making process. So here we are two, three years later, uh, and now our students are forecasting for Division I football. Uh, they're working um, emergency management operations uh, at some of the big events. Um, we play a, a really large role in school closures uh, for winter weather or even severe weather. Uh, and, and, and the list just goes on and on and on. So as, as we all know, weather is in everyone's business. So we're sort of training our students to figure out how to provide the decision support uh, for all those decision makers on campus. And it's working pretty well. So Josh, uh, what made you start up this program? How did you get the idea to come up with this? Well, the again, I think the, the inspiration was just always looking back at and wondering what make it better you know what what did i wish this place had when i was here uh what would the students really like and you know the the modern culture of, of higher education is struggling in some ways with regard to things like you know tuition boost uh recruitment sorry my lights turn on here sometimes here we go hold on western <laughs> kentucky university is very energy efficient yes all right we're back uh, the uh, trying to think where, where I left off. The uh, oh, we wanted to provide again the opportunity for the students to to have this really hands-on learning experience um, in a way that's really not seen in many other places. I mean, there are practical meteorological uh, learning experiences. There are other storm chases. There are other campus university services, um, but we wanted it to be you know, in a way that put the students really in the pocket of the administrators um, and some of the big time decision makers on campus so that uh, they can add that thing, those types of experiences to their to their resume. Uh, more specifically, you know, we stay really close contact with all the employers that our students tend to gravitate toward. And when they tell us what they want out of our students, we bring that back to the program and we operationalize it through uh, through white squirrel weather. And so when they get out of here, they can honestly say we've had these tangible experiences and uh, it's helping them get jobs. So it's really working out. It's, it's developing a, a culture uh, within the program where students want to come and be involved within this experience. It helps retain the students because it's a it's a challenging degree uh, and you know by giving them this experience they want to stay they want to fight harder for it they want to see it through and in the end they get jobs and everybody wins and yeah that was going to lead me to the next question which um, what's the select how do you select students to be a part of this service I mean you, you kind of touched on a little bit about the pool that you're you're getting from um, what kind of criteria do they need to meet in order to be a part of the service? Is there a specific criteria? Kind of like weather service has specific. Do you have some specifics as well? Uh, a little bit. Um, it's it, first off, it is it's an open door invitation to anyone in the program. Uh, I think another thing where some programs can suffer is where freshmen and sophomore feel like they have to wait a couple years to earn their keep. Uh, we want the freshmen involved from day one. Uh, so. Uh, we we design experiences within this operation so that um, you can have the minimal experience or very advanced knowledge um, and we can find a place for you within that. So I guess the first answer is that it, it is open door, but there are different positions within that. So um, sort of the triangle is there's the, the forecast side of it, 
the other piece is the emergency management operations side of it. And then, of course, then there's the broadcast side of that as well. So on the forecast side, we designed it somewhat like the weather service where we have a lead forecaster that manages uh, a general forecast group. Uh, so for the lead forecaster, of course, that's going to require all sorts of things, you know, obviously the knowledge to put it together, um, leadership skills, positive attitude, strong initiative, those types of things. Emergency management side is is a little bit different, um, but you know those students are providing weather decision support at events. They're working um, emergency operations centers at the football games. Uh, they help work the concerts, that type of stuff, um, and really to sort of get that EM exposure side of, of the weather fence. And of course, for broadcast, uh, those students are largely focusing on like social media, getting the word out, communications. Uh, one of the neat things we've done is partnered with uh, PBS, and uh, we've acquired uh, through that partnership an actual TV station to start pushing this content. So that's part of our sort of the next really exciting push within that triangle. So that way we're accommodating uh, students with all of those interests within the field, not just sort of a, a forecast school or a broadcast school or a research school, we're trying to provide a little bit of opportunity for everyone who's interested in all of those things. Wow, you must be reading my mind because you you went right into the next question, which was going to talk about community involvement and uh, partnerships uh, within the college and outside of WKU. If um, you have anything else, you mentioned PBS, you mentioned students going to events and doing some outreaches and, and social media. Is there anything else you want to add to that? Yeah, so really the neat thing is, is we've treated this whole experience as, as a test bed for any city, uh, you know, the university, Together with everyone combined, we could just call it around 20,000 people all together. But within that, you've got your own police, you've got fire marshal, you've got shopping, you've got eating. You know, it's basically a, a small city uh, inside of a city. So uh, within that, you know, that city has a lot of important decisions that depend on the weather. Is graduation going to be inside or outside, the parades, the games, um, the, the hazardous weather threats, and so forth. Um, so within that, then, once these various groups have started to find the value in what our students and what we're doing can do for them, the partnerships just start coming. Uh, so our very first partnership was with the athletics group. Uh, the football team was on board from, from day one. They've provided a wealth of support, uh, and we've been really happy to, to work with them. We now work with baseball. And we had a meeting at the end of this year where we are now basically in charge of providing weather support, uh, support for all of the athletic events now. So that's been really cool. Um, PBS came along and NPR Public Broadcasting because they have a similar working model with student engagement. Uh, and it's just a really natural fit. And they basically have said they would love to have uh, a different spin on weather content. Uh, so we have the creative control to work with that group to start providing this sort of different way of, of providing weather content and pushing that to radio and TV. So that's really cool. I think uh, I think that's really cool that you you foster the culture in these athletic events. We don't see that enough. We see pictures of folks out in baseball games and whatnot, football games, lightning strikes, and people are you know hooing and hawing about it instead of being. Uh, you know, alert to the fact that severe weather is around, you know, um, I think that's great that you're being a part of that and, and pushing that in the weather world. Yeah, we're, you know, the, as I said, we, we speak with a lot of the employers and ask what they want. And the conversation is starting to really turn toward emergency management, the weather service, private sector industry wants 
our students to really have at least some exposure to emergency management because those are the people they're going to be interacting with out in this in this real world. And so what we do is we put them through ICS training. Um, I'm putting myself through all of this uh, ICS training um, and various EM training experiences and trying to get really exposed in understanding the idea of event safety, um, event evacuations, and, and trying to then teach our audience uh, and, and decision makers about that process. Excellent, excellent. Well, shifting gears a little bit, um, you know, an important part of any organization, of course, is their name and their logo and something, you know, catchy. So I want to I want to hone in on the logo on your shirt there. Uh, tell sure. us a little bit about your mascot there, who I also hear has a very appropriate name. Yeah. So, OK, so this is the, the White Squirrel Weather logo. Um, you know, if if you ask most people in the weather business, you know, you go to any conference, it seems like the theme over the last decade is uh, we, we need to be better at communication, right? Uh, so uh, my partner in this is, uh, was pulled into this. He's actually not, he, has, he doesn't have much of a weather background at all, but his graduate work is on visual design and science communications with groups of, of different languages, language barriers. Uh, so I thought it'd be really neat to bring him in uh, to provide an unbiased view of how to bring weather communication into the mix. Uh, so the first thing sort of came with, with the logo. So this is uh, uh, the white squirrel. And as we were building this thing, I was sitting at the computer one day and I, and I texted him and I said, this, this thing needs an identity. We can't just call it a white squirrel. It needs something to latch onto. And, uh, and he said, well, let's make it a female. All the other mascots in the world seem to be male. Let's support the female side of this. And I said, no, it's a good idea. So I turned to my daughter who was sitting on the floor playing. And I just asked her, you know, hey, Bella, what, what would be a great name for a female squirrel and related to weather? And she goes, why not call her Wendy? So that became her name, W-I-N-D-Y, of course. Uh, so Wendy is, a, is the mascot for this operation. And uh, the other cool thing about it, too, is, of course, you have the anemometer and, uh, and we have what we call the FedEx Arrow, which is uh, a hidden weather sort of uh, negative space icon that's inside the logo. And I'll see if you guys can see what that is before I let you know what it is. And I'm not going to cheat and give it away because I already know the answer to this question. <laughs> Any takers? kind of hard to see with in the, in the camera. I'll just let it be a mystery. You guys can figure it out. You'll have to tell us by the end of the show. How about that? That's good. All right. <laughs> so, and Josh, and I know with Wendy and, and some of the, and, and the work that you guys have been, you know, you guys have been, you know, working, Johnny Owen, you've been working together with coming up with Wendy is um, using the pictorial um, images to tell the story of what like the forecast is going to be. And I know, I forget, at one point in time, you gave me the figure of how many different icons have been created of Wendy that can be used in the forecast. It was, it, it's a staggering number, if I remember correctly. Yeah. So again, coming back to communications, um, it's so funny that we're having this conversation right now because I got a text right when we started the show that asked if 90% chance of rain means a lot of rain or a chance of rain within an area. 
and they said that that was confusing. Um, we all know watches versus warnings are confusing. You know, there's so many uh, communication issues in our field, and you know, it's just going to take a long time to push through and and fix a lot of those issues on the on the government side of things. But here at White Squirrel Weather, we don't have that bureaucracy, and we can at least test bed some of these communication ideas that we think might work better. Um, so a lot of anecdotal evidence just from being around town um, and communicating with with people about about these types of things has taught us to uh, create graphics that convey mood um, and feeling. Um, and you know, any good picture should really get the job done without having a lot of words context to it. Uh, so we've changed some things to see how well some of these ideas would work. And we've put together about, gosh, I think it's about 2,500 individually hand-drawn graphics to convey the various uh, weather service outputs that are provided in the uh, in the forecast, and we've merged and we've merged a lot of those graphics and changed some of the language. So, for instance, we don't offer probabilistic forecasting on the on the site. We use generic words like medium and less and greater. Uh, I have found, for instance, at least in Kentucky, uh, no one ever asked me how much snow is going to fall. They ask, how is it going to impact their life? You know, it, are the kids going to have school tomorrow? Am I going to make my flight? Are we going to be able to go to the to the show or whatever the case might be? So we've never once provided snow forecasts in the form of, of an amount. We always provide it in the form of an impact. And we use these graphics to convey these impacts. And of course, we use some wording around it to support it. And so far, it, it's got a really great response. And actually, I am um, James was kind enough to pull up while you were talking the uh, the forecast for later this week with Wendy's icons um, that actually show the little you know the lightning bolt and her darting off the screen and you know it being a chance immediate you know the chance of rain is medium or greater and then with the forecast in there and while i understand you know it later this week it's all just windy jump you know jumping off of screen um there are, you guys have had fun with it too and uh, windy has her own individual you know personality through these icons um different types of hats during the the winter weather galoshes when it's raining um fans hats sunglasses when it's hot um, so, I mean, if you're really interested in cool ways to communicate the weather, you guys have done a fantastic job with it. So just come back, you know, next couple of days or so and see how those icons change based on the forecast. And I think, uh, I think that's really amazing. But one of the things I want to do is, is I kind of want to move, take some of the stuff that you've mentioned about white square weather and actually now talk about what you guys have been doing the last two weeks, which is the chase. Um, now this was, if I remember correctly, the 10th year that you've done this. Um, so can you tell, I mean, I, I'm just thinking about this when I was an undergraduate student, being able to have the opportunity not only to work and do something like White Squirrel Weather, where you said like you've got the triangle of forecasting, broadcasting, and the EM, but then to actually go out and do this field experience class. Like it almost makes me want to go back to school again, as long as I couldn't take on the debt um, to do it. But, you know, you've created such an amazing culture at Western Kentucky, and one side of this is, is the is the experience of that. So can you tell a little bit about what kind of brought along the field studies um, and why you wanted to do that? So that's another sort of, that's just an old dream that, you know, we would go chasing 
back in the old days, especially like uh, in grad school, uh, that was the thing to do at the end of the year. Uh, and we would go out there for fun, spend our own money and go camping. And, and just I, every time I went, I was always blown away by how much I learned by being out there. Uh, how much I learned from my friends who had more experiences than me with that. Uh, and then, you know, that leads to a lot of talking and stuff. And I remember just sitting there one day and like, you know, it'd be really cool one day when we all have our jobs at these universities, when we make this experience an actual class and we can give this to students and then we can, we can still do it on our own, but we can do it as part of our job. How cool would that be? And we just laugh and, you know, it was just kind of like a fantasy. Uh, but once again, when, when I applied for this position and they were looking for an innovative way to, to build a program, during that interview, I asked them if they thought they could support the notion of bringing students out to the field to forecast for severe storms and to document these things. And they were on board from, from day one. So it took me a couple of years to you know, get started in the career. And by 2010, uh, we had our inaugural outing. And it was 2010, which the storm chase community will know right away. That was a really great year for seeing uh, tornadoes and lots of severe storms. And we practically saw tornadoes every day on that trip. Uh, but here, 10 years later, it's just become such a wonderful experience. Uh, the students just truly get this really high-end, advanced learning uh, application of forecasting that forces them to commit to some real decisions. It's easy to sit in a classroom and blow a forecast for a homework assignment and be like, well, whatever. Uh, but when you put the student at the front of the room and ask them, all right, where are we going today? 500 miles this way, 300 miles that way, what time, what roads, what hotels, and they have to make all those decisions, uh, it changes the, the learning culture right away. Uh, it forces them to, to commit to, to the things that they think that they know. And of course, we're there to nudge and vet and make sure everyone uh, has the best experience, but they're in the driver's seat for that class. And so you said it's a class. So do your students who go on this experience with you, do they have to, um, is there like prerequisites? Do they have to write an essay? How, how do these students get to get into this class? So that's a good question. Uh, a lot of the students ask me the same question. Um, as you can imagine, there's a lot of students who, who want to go on the trip each year, but we can only bring eight because of the size of the van, and we don't want to bring more than one van. Um, just keep the logistics as, as safe and simple as possible. Um, it's, it's generally open to everyone. However, uh, we really prefer to lean on the juniors and the seniors who've been through some of the upper division coursework so that they have an understanding of synoptic theory and, and mesoscale interactions. Uh, and so that they, when they get out to the field, they can actually apply those things. However, there are some students who end up on the trip that are almost at that stage, but they've had at least the introductory, uh, which is a junior level forecasting course. Uh, and they sort of come at the course a little bit different. They don't know as much, but they are the sponge in the group. And so when they come back and when they get to those upper level courses, uh, a lot of times those are the students that are rock stars. So I actually like a little bit of diversity within that. I like students who are basically ready to graduate and I like some that have another year or two to go because then that creates leadership and mentorship and, and a lot of other sort of really positive feedbacks within the group. And so in the end, 
I don't pick individuals and I don't pick abilities. I pick teams. Uh, I, I have to have the best forecast team, and the team doesn't necessarily mean eight of the best. It means eight of the right people to make that best team. So it, it's a lot of different things. So, Josh, what is your most memorable chasing experience? Is there any storm that just sticks out in your mind? It's, gosh, there's so many of those. Um, you know, there are the, the surprise moments that, you know, when when uh, a forecast goes away that you didn't think, and it, it turns out great. Um, Bennington 2013 was, was one of those. It was a really benign forecast day. We woke up in Salina, Kansas, and we couldn't decide if we wanted to travel to Colorado or down into Oklahoma. And we really didn't have any sort of forecast data to make us move from Salina. So we had a long lunch. Uh, we hung out and all of a sudden things really started to come together, ironically, right over Salina. So we decided to just hang out then. And we're so used to driving hundreds of miles every day to, to go see a storm. And it turned out that these storms were initiating right over the hotel. So, oh, here we go again. Sorry. There we go. And the, uh, that was the shortest storm chase that we ever had. Is It was eight miles. Uh, we just basically drove around the block out into the field uh, from Salina to Bennington, and this large tornado wobbled out in the field for, for nearly an hour, and then it was over, and then we drove to Wichita that night. So that was a pretty pretty memorable experience just because it was there wasn't a whole lot of forecasting in that. Uh, it was kind of a lot of luck of sticking around, and then a forecast landed in our lap. So that was kind of cool. Um, but, you know, similarly, uh, Campo Tornado 2010 was another beautiful, long-lived uh, tornado that was a very weak sort of forecast, but some mesoscale interactions allowed that storm to come together, and it produced just a beautiful tornado for, again, for about 45 minutes or so, from my, from my recollection. Uh, so there's, there's many of those types of moments. Hang on, I thought... I I thought you were going to say you drove through a house like Bill Paxton did on one of the roads getting yeah. one. So now um. I, will, I will add, I have to add too, that's going to go down in, in history on the trip was somehow in some way, shape or form, we pulled off a miracle. And this year we were, we were able to get the university president to go with us on the trip. Uh, he, he was, he's very supportive of the meteorology program. Uh, he, he's really into the student experiences, uh, the student successes that we provide within the meteorology program. And so he's, he's really supportive of white squirrel weather, and he really just wanted to see what the storm chase was all about. And we joked for a little while, you know, he said he wanted to come. We'd, we'd see him occasionally and say, are you coming? And, you know, a couple years go by, but this year it just made sense and he tagged along for a few days and he saw a tornado on day one and we had a wonderful time he, he it was really really neat for the students to be able to experience the storm trip with their university president yeah, yeah he was i would say he was on twitter um just talking about um the how much he enjoyed the experience and actually seeing the students from the university and, and the effort that they put in for the storm chase um and that was kind of neat to see is is you know him actually going out and not only listening to the experiences when you guys come back but take part in those as well well it's you know we really like to see you know these these higher level administrators or in, in any job in, in the world, right? That these leaders come in and they say a lot of stuff, but how many of them actually do? 
so when you have a president come in and he's trying to reshape a university toward the student experience, toward student success, toward applied learning and applied research initiatives, and then to make the commitment to drive out and trust us with his time and his, his safety and to show him to demonstrate these these very things to him that's really cool uh, I respect that a lot I don't I don't know of many other university presidents that would that would do that kind of thing so that that was really neat for us so Josh I know we talked about white squirrel weather we've talked about the chase um, what in the future what do you have planned I mean I, I've, I've I had the privilege of, of working beside you for a year and um, and you know also kind of collaborating with some of the efforts with the you know weather stem and I just know that there's some more stuff going on in there I know there's some great ideas brewing and is there anything you can share with us about what the future holds yes uh, you know the cool thing about my job is I'm allowed to to create uh, I have a lot of freedom to to design and implement uh, with great support from people at this university. And I think that's what's allowed this program to thrive is because they put a lot of trust in my ideas and implementations. And it's working. You know, when I started here, we only had a few majors on the books. And, you know, we're, we're going to be pushing probably close to 100 majors really soon. We have our largest incoming class in the fall of at last I saw it was like 25 or 30 uh, commitments to the to the program uh, this is great but with that that means we're gonna need to find more things to do with these with these initiatives and going back to the idea of using the university as a test bed for all of these experiences it's starting to catch catch fire a little bit outside of the academic community and we're starting to see more partnerships develop with private industry um, and, and other groups as well. Uh, so we are negotiating a couple of really neat opportunities that we hope to see through. Um, some of that includes portions of the bourbon industry here in Kentucky. Uh, we are also navigating a relationship with Amazon and we really hope that you know we can come to, to an agreement with that, uh, with that operation for obvious reasons. Uh, they're very supportive of education. Uh, we've submitted proposal, numerous conversations with them, and uh, we soon will visit the operations out in Arizona to figure out where we go from there. So what we're really trying to do with this ultimately is develop partnerships in a way where everyone wins. And the most important win is the students. You know, I always tell the students, I have a job, so I'm already there but we need to get you one. We need to get you up to that platform. So stu the student experience, student successes are my number one priority in this program. If you, if you control those, well then the program will grow, the reputation will stand, and the work will stand for itself. So I'm not worried about those things as long as my students are thriving. Um, and if they can thrive in ways where they can then say, yes, I studied meteorology here, uh, I worked in this pseudo private industry operation on campus that then led me to working for companies like Amazon. Uh, I think that's that's a really neat way of, of building an education model um, and building a culture on, on campus. Uh, I don't I understand that that's not something that can work for all programs on any campus, but it is a great model for uh, bringing students into a situation that professionalizes their learning experience.
Awesome, awesome. I yeah, think we're, uh, oh, sorry, Melissa, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead, Tim. Oh, I thought we were wrapping up here, so I was going to jump in with uh, one more fun question for you. <laughs> Any sort of memorabilia or collector's items we can get for white squirrel weather and that, that might be, you know, for purchase to support your organization or anything like that in the future? Yeah, we, uh, you know, again, in developing these partnerships and whatnot, uh, we are trying to get a way that can drive money back into the program so that we can reduce student costs as much as we can. So things like the storm trip is, is pretty expensive for the students. It's like a travel abroad type of experience. Um, they want to go to conferences. They want to you know be involved in many ways that they often can't afford because it's tied up in tuition dollars. So we're hoping that when we partner with these different groups, uh, you know we're not interested in obviously making money off of this, but we are interested in developing uh, fundraising ways, funding streams to help support the students. Also in doing so, uh, this windy character that we we've designed has become wildly popular. Uh, we just we kind of laugh because we just never thought it would turn into this. And people have asked us all the time, "Do you have a shirt? Do you have a hat? Do you have something we can we can do with this?" So we did. We created a merchandise line, and we just slowly put out different things from here and there. And uh, we actually have a place where you can you can purchase those items online. It's simply whitesquirrelweather.com. And uh, there's a shop in there where you can see a lot of these these items for sale, and we we give you know a lot of that money back toward the program to support the students. Excellent. You know, you definitely got a fan in the uh, logo and the figurines here. So, <laughs> good stuff. Good stuff. Thank you. So, Josh, as you you continue to grow White Squirrel World, you you know continue to do amazing things at Western Kentucky. You know, how can people follow? Um, what you're doing at at the university follow your students through this process we've you know in in addition to testing the the graphical communications and whatnot uh we've uh we've tested all the social media and of course the students know better than i do on half of this stuff um and we've we've gone through it all we could be better at a lot of it um but we did find that our best social media uh way of, of communicating with with the public is through twitter uh, so we mainly lean on Twitter for that KU storm chase. And so if you want to see some of the stuff that we've done over the years, and especially on this recent trip, you can, you can go there as well. Otherwise, uh, we have, we have worked with, with weather STEM to develop our own app that services our infrastructure. And so, uh, you can see some of the weather information that we provide for our, our local campus and our regional campuses. And we are certainly looking to expand that operation again into the private industry, but also into some uh, school districts as well. So we're expecting that that app will start to inflate with more infrastructure. We're excited about that. Josh, we really appreciate your time. Uh, it sounds like you have built a great program there. Uh, my only regret was not putting on this University of Georgia tie to share our red and blue blood uh, uh, before before the, uh, the show started. But I think I'll have to get one with the white squirrel on it now to support the, <laughs> the great program uh, that you've got going on there. So we appreciate your time. And uh, again, remind our, our viewers and listeners that they can reach out to you guys on social if they want to learn a little bit more about the program. And uh, we appreciate your time. And I know... I'll share this little behind-the-scenes fact. I think she wants to know about the logo. There was something about the logo that we were supposed to guess, and oh, yeah, we didn't yeah. get it. Okay. Um, okay, here we go. So 
in the negative space between uh, the, I'm trying to get the camera situated. There we go. Uh, in the middle between uh, Wendy oh. and the anemometer, there's a tornado. Oh, I see oh. it now. So, hey, did you see it right before? I did, as soon as he put it up. Yes. Wow. So, now, the the trick about that is is our designer did not know that that was in there initially. So he put together Wendy uh, with the anemometer just based on the things that I described to him about what we wanted the logo to look like. And when he did, he knocked it out of the park. This was the first draft. And then he sent like 20 other drafts of, of different variants of the logo. And I was just like, no, 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 no. We kept coming back to this original one. And so we settled on it. And then when we sort of took that deep breath, like, this is it, I just turned and I said, now, did you mean to draw the tornado? And he said, what tornado? And I said, you put a tornado in the middle of that thing, like the FedEx arrow. And he said, no, I, there's not a FedEx arrow in this graphic at all. And so once I pointed it out to him uh, that he did, it was just a really neat way that it came together. So it wasn't a, a forced design in that way. It was just a sort of a, an accidental FedEx arrow, if you will. So it's pretty cool. That is that is very cool, and I appreciate you sharing that with us. I remember as a kid, I got a really good shot once in playing pool with my grandpa, and I said, oh, I didn't mean to do that. And he goes, don't tell me that. Just pretend <laughs> like you meant to do it the entire time. So right. as far as we know, that tornado was supposed to be there. That's right. Yeah. Josh, we appreciate your time. Uh, we want to let our viewers know as we come up to this 9 o'clock hour in our live broadcast to coming up after the break, we will get a check of the tropics. We'll get a uh, check of our drought situation here in the Carolinas, uh, and we'll see if we have any initial storm reports, too, from areas that saw uh, severe thunderstorms today. But first, we're going to take a quick break, and speaking of storm chasing, our own storm chasers, Scotty Powell, Chris Jackson, and Evan Fisher, just returning now from their trip in the plains doing their own chasing, and uh, we have a couple more reports that that they shot that we're going to share with you and uh, let's take a look at this one hey everyone uh carolina weather group evan fisher scotty powell here with you uh kind of recapping day four it's day four. I think it is. Monday, Tuesday, Thursday. Yeah, it's day four. So uh, we're in Lubbock, Texas tonight. Uh, we went down. It was honestly close to Mexico. We were 38 miles from Mexico <laughs> at one point. Yeah, and uh, today the setup was um, down in the Fort Stockton area, uh, Fort Fisher. Um, we were in Alpine, Texas, where we came across a supercell. Uh, but they were under a slight risk of severe weather and eventually a tornado watch was issued and there's a few storms that popped up but we really didn't have a good play on any of them because of the, the terrain there is beautiful but it's hard to navigate. Yeah, we had to navigate through some mountains um, and to be honest, I don't think anyone today saw a tornado. Uh, there were at least 10 to 15 chasers out there in the general vicinity, uh, which to be fair, it is a very long drive down there, very remote. Uh, and like you said, there's tons of mountains and then random plateaus they make it kind of difficult to traverse the terrain because you know there's only one road every 10 miles or so so it, it was a tough chase but it was beautiful terrain we don't feel that bad about getting scum through storms it was almost kind of like being back in western north carolina for you and i yeah. both um 
It's kind of chilly up there. It was in the 60s and kind of drizzly, but uh, I guess we, we did come across some nickel to maybe some quarter-sized hills. It's kind of hard to tell. We wasn't out there. We were driving in it. So there was two supercells, and one thing, Evan, that I noticed is the storms, they were slow movers, and they lasted for, I think, three, four hours. Well, at least that one storm was all, was going on for at least three hours. Yeah, so initially during the day, we had driven down to Fort Stockton from Midland. Uh, I posted up in this this one spot, uh, pretty far away from the storms, to be honest, waiting to see what was going to happen. And the storm that we ended up chasing was just sitting on just on the other side of the mountain ridge uh, and wasn't moving at all. So after a while, we pulled up off that road and had to make a decision between going east to a big supercell that was already... You know, very well uh, it, it was it was really getting going i uh, already had some four inch hail in it it was an absolute monster uh, with some general broad rotation or we could go west southwest uh, up to the mountains as we found out but I don't, at the time we didn't know there were mountains there um and chase some kind of outliers there that's what we went for and so we're going to be heading to oklahoma city uh, t- kind of taking a little bit of a break from the severe weather uh, which we all need it. We've been on the road for a while now, it seems like. So hopefully we'll get to see some weather-related things. But, Evan, it looks like as we kind of – that Sunday, Monday, Tuesday time frame, uh, the severe weather, um, although there's no major threats, it uh, looks like the storm coverage does ramp back up. So mm-hmm. that will give us the last few days of chasing. Yeah, hopefully we'll get to chase more up towards northwestern Kansas uh, and eastern Colorado, which is where we started this week. Um, I think we're all very excited about that. It's very predictable, very predictable road uh, networks, as well as this very flat terrain, no mountains, um, and it's just beautiful country. It makes for good chasing. Definitely so. So, uh, thanks for uh, joining along with us uh, as we uh, continue our chase. And as always, you can follow us on our uh, on our social media platforms. So we're doing CWG Chase hashtag CWG Chase. So. If you're on Twitter, you can look that up, or you can follow Evan or myself or Chris on Twitter, and uh, we'll occasionally put things out on the Facebook page, but we're doing a lot more on the Carolina Weather Group Twitter page than anything else in the Instagram page. So look for us there, look for our content, and until uh, tomorrow, we'll talk to you later. That's, uh, that's one of the latest videos we got in from our Storm Chase team, Scotty Powell and Evan Fisher and Chris Jackson. We have, I think, two more updates on the other side of that to uh, share with you over here in the next coming days. So uh, if you haven't been following them live on social media during our special Storm Chase broadcast, then you can check out on YouTube our dedicated Storm Chase 2019 playlist, uh, which contains uh, their, all their latest content. And we do appreciate uh, them. And we appreciate Peter, who put together that segment for us to show on tonight's broadcast. So thank you, Peter. It's uh, 9.05. Five now, and uh, this is the part of the show where we're going to talk about weather here in the Carolinas and across the Southeast. And if you're still watching with us live on Facebook, YouTube, Periscope, or Twitch, and you have a question, just go ahead and throw it right into the question field, and we'll try to answer it here in the next few minutes. Let's start with Shay Gibson, Charleston, South Carolina. He has our tropical update, Shay. <clears throat> we talked about the 1st of June being the start of the hurricane season, the origins here. You can see in this graphic coming from the Western Caribbean, the Bay of Campeche, up into the Gulf of Mexico. Right now, nothing is uh, expected to form the next 48 hours. However, the swath over Texas, uh, that was Invest 91L. We did have an area that of disturbance in the Bay of Campeche that lifted north. It got sheared off at the upper levels. We can see the remainder of that spinning over Texas right now, this little vorticity maximum over Houston. And what that's doing is it's helping to draw moisture up into the southeast region. See the giant swath of moisture is really starting to bank in across the Mississippi Valley and into the Carolinas. Drop monitor. This is going to be extremely helpful for us because we have pretty wide areas of moderate drought. 
And, and so this is going to be really helpful. This has been ongoing for quite some time now and, and spreading more and more into Georgia, down into um, the Western Florida panhandle. So you know, this is all going to be helpful. If you look at the uh, WPC quantitative precipitation forecast in the next seven days, lots of rain, cooler temperatures. So we get some relief from that heat wave that we had. Also several inches of rain for those who've been waiting on this to water their lawns. This is going to be uh, a great thing. Every single day this week, I think for the next five to seven days, we have a chance of afternoon showers and thunderstorms. So just be aware and keep up with the severe threats that come daily with those as well. Weather service offices in your local areas will be issuing those as needed. The main threats will be, of course, heavy rains, lightning, hail has been kind of a, a common thing that we've been seeing around here lately. Not many tornadoes, but we have been the severe threat of strong winds, hail, and uh, heavy rain. So with that many inches of rain after a dry, a, a pretty large dry um, section of time, I mean, wow, yeah, we could see some flash flooding in some of these areas as well. Back to you, James. Thank you, Shay, and my apologies. I'm sorry to have you go back and do it again, but I would rather have you do it again than not have it at all, and uh, sorry to our viewers as well. So yes, as Shay mentioned, uh, we've been in this weird place where we had all of this heat for all so long. Matter of fact, we had this Facebook post from the National Weather Service in Wilmington uh, showcasing the month of May, which obviously just wrapped up, and in their area alone, 20 days with temperatures above normal, four broken high temperature records, two days of rain, less than a third of an inch. And so uh, we are very dry, although some of us in the last few days have seen some of those rumbles of thunder come on through, which has bring some relief to all of that dry weather. Uh, but with it, as Shay mentioned, it did have that afternoon chance for a strong to severe thunderstorm that we'll continue to monitor. Uh, Melissa, let's bring you into this conversation because I know uh, you had shared with us some graphics from the North Carolina Climate Office that we'll put up on the screen here that regionally speaking really showcases, I think, kind of the uh, the extremes that we saw in May and just how warm and dry it's been in some places. Yeah, the, um, the both the Carolinas, we'll start with North Carolina. I mean, when you're, this is a really great graphic, North Carolina State Climate Office put out some amazing graphics. So if you haven't been following them on Twitter, I highly suggest you do that. But this is really cool because it gives you the perspective of where May 2019 comes in on the long range, um, like historical perspective back to 1895 and what that average typically is. So the warmest is, uh, May on record for the state comes in at, um, at 72 um, 72 degrees for the average temperature and 2019 comes in at 71. So, the, you know, you're, you're talking about pretty warm May um, in some locations. It was their hottest May on record. Um, a lot of different um, stations throughout the state of uh, North Carolina had their top five warmest May on record. Um, and it's really interesting because we did have a front that came through and did bring some rain to portions of the western, um, the western Carolinas, um, western North Carolina and, and western South Carolina. And we had a couple of days in the middle of the month that were actually below normal with their temperatures. Um, but that was not enough to really curb the amount of heat that we saw at the end of, of um, at the end of the month of May, especially here um, across portions of, of the Carolinas. In South Carolina alone. Um, we're looking at the highest, it was the warmest May on record in Charleston. It was the second warmest May on record in Columbia and Florence. And it was the third warmest record in, uh, or May on record in the Greenville area. 
So uh, James has pulled up a, an image of the drought monitor. That yellow color is the D0, which is our abnormally dry color. Um, the, the tan color is the D1, which is an indicator of moderate drought. And because of the extreme heat, lack of rainfall, um, you know, we're talking about what we call a flash drought, flash drought conditions across portions of northern uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, and Florida. And that's where you get these relatively short periods where the, the, the surface temperature is so warm with the sunshine, the extra radiation, the evap increased evaporation, you start to see declines very quickly in your soil moisture. Um, and that can have a huge impact on um, agriculture across the, um, the region. So the um, state can, uh, the South Carolina uh, Forestry Commission had put out a statewide burn ban um, at the beginning of last week, they, they actually lifted it this morning um, because we have had some moisture in the area. We have had the conditions are, are a little bit better, so they've kind of lessened on that burn ban. Um, but as kind of Shay kind of hinted to when he talked about the drought, you know, the areas in Georgia and Florida that were hit by Michael, um, they've got a lot of this dry timber on the ground. And so with these warm temperatures, you know, any of these fires, any of these wildfires that could break out, you know, could be devastating in some of these areas with all of those dry fuels on the ground. So um, the as, as Shay mentioned, drought monitor will come out tomorrow. We may see an increase to D2 severe drought. Um, if it does come out, it will probably be in portions of the low country um, that we may see it added probably into areas maybe in the slow, uh, the lower Savannah area across in Georgia. Um, so we'll have to stay tuned and see what happens with that. James, back to you. Thank you, Melissa. And we're just taking a look now at some file video from Hurricane Michael and the devastation it did to the forest, but also those dry timbers that have been left behind. As you know, we look at the file video, they're cleaning it up, but certainly there's still plenty of that fuel there on the ground and, and elsewhere that we've also seen in some, uh, I think, astounding satellite imagery as well, too. So that's a great reminder of how weather, even from last year, is still playing into our conditions regionally uh, today. So we uh, appreciate that. Coming up on 915, I want to introduce a new member of our team to you. His name is Tim Pounds. He's a fellow Georgia Bulldog like myself. Tim is coming on board to help us manage some exciting opportunities when it comes to the audio version of our show, the Carolina Weather Group podcast. So Tim, what do you got cooking? Well, James, before long, you're going to be able to hear the Carolina Weather Group no matter where you go. It's going to be great. We're launching on a couple different platforms. Our newest one and most exciting one to us is the Anchor FM platform where you can go on Anchor FM and listen to our podcast, get our podcasts. And, you know, before long, there's going to be a little bit of a uh, support feature coming to the Anchor FM, meaning that viewers like you can help support the Carolina Weather Group and can make donations and all kinds of stuff coming to Anchor FM. It's very exciting. Um, so what else is coming up? You know, we actually have a really cool feature uh, where you can call into us and leave us a voicemail. You're going to have to check the show uh, show notes for the link to that. Um, but I believe that's going to be in the show notes of almost, on almost every platform. You know, leave us a message. Got comments or concerns? Did you witness some crazy severe weather? Or maybe have a, a suggestion for future weather shows? Just, just drop us a line. And you can do it there. You can do it on any of our social media platforms. And, you know, before long, our weekly show is either going to be published or soon to be published on all your favorite apps, meaning Spotify. That's right, live on Spotify, Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Apple Podcasts. So wherever you want to listen to us, just tune on in and see where you can find us. And, uh, you know, leave us a little review, too. We always love hearing your feedback. All right, James, I think that's everything I've got. Back to you, man. 
Tim, I appreciate that very much. And hopefully folks will check us out uh, if they have not yet previously checked out the version of our audio show, or if they are, check out some of those exciting new features. I want to go ahead and put on the screen now. Uh, we had a slight risk of severe weather today across a good portion of the Carolinas. And I just want to show a little bit in real time here with you as I'm looking at some of the uh, the data we've got uh, to what uh, all has been confirmed and what we saw. These are storm reports out of the Raleigh office. We'll get some of their offices on the screen here in a moment, but a couple of those thunderstorms uh, producing some trees down with some gusty conditions. Uh, we even had some hail reported. This outside the Fayetteville area, one and a quarter inch size hail and uh, let's see what this hail report is here near Southern Pines, a little under an inch uh, as well, too. Uh, bear with me. We'll add some other offices to this. You know, we have a number of National Weather Service offices here in the uh, Carolinas, and I just have to add each one of them to this. But, uh, you know, this was a day where we started off initially with a threat of severe weather, uh, that slight risk, mainly isolated across portions of central North Carolina, and then they decided to increase that and uh, bring it to other areas of the Carolinas as well, too. So if you're following us on social media, you certainly uh, would have been notified of that change as we were keeping folks updated on our Facebook page, on our Twitter, and we were also streaming throughout the day some of those uh, real-time warnings. Uh, so that's certainly a platform for you guys to check us out on if you haven't previously so that you can be notified when we go live uh, with, with weather such as that. Guys, I'm really desperately trying to stall here to find the Blacksburg office out of Roanoke, which does um, northern portions of central North Carolina and up towards the uh, the mountains. And I must just be scrolling right past them. There they are. They're listed under RNK, which is which is them. But then it says Blacksburg. You would think, I don't know, I guess I was thinking it was either going to say Roanoke or Blacksburg and be higher up on the list. But let's update this for you folks and uh, show you what we've got here with a broader uh, area now to play with a little bit more uh, with regards to uh, storm reports. And uh, actually, after all that, after all that, I got nothing to add. I got nothing to add. What about Columbia? What about Columbia? You got anything for me, Columbia? Uh, yes. We had some hail down towards the Savannah River site. Uh, emergency management there, about quarter-size hail. And we had a tree down, minor roof damage here near Earhart, Earnhardt. Uh, isolated amount of roof damage, missing shingles, chimney blown off. So not too bad. I think, I think actually guys, we had, a, we had a wider spread, uh, uh, case of severe weather and damage across the uh, coastal plains, uh, going back a day or two, but, uh, you know, we did have that slight risk today. We certainly could have had more storm reports and we didn't. And I think that's good news. I think that's good news in the long run panel. Anything to add? No, Bueller, Bueller going once, going twice. Ricky Matthews lurking in the dark. We see you, Ricky. We see you. And I'm elusive, aren't I? <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we appreciate you joining us for this 280th episode of the Carolina Weather Group. Uh, if you haven't already, again, we will have a few more updates from our chase team coming to social media over the course of the next few days. We will be back if severe weather warrants. If not, we will see you right back here next Wednesday night at 8.15 Eastern time for another edition of the Carolina Weather Group. And until then, on behalf of the entire panel, I'm James Briarton. Be well.